Well, good morning, Alliance family. Uh, what a pleasure it is to be here once again on our pulpit to preach God's word. Um, I have a powerful word that I believe the Lord has given me, and I would ask that we open up our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew for our opening scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 19 through 20. And it reads the following way. Do not store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the scriptures that you've left us, Father, that deal with um, generosity and giving and, and the time that you've given us. And Father, I pray that today you allow us to hear you, Father, that you would speak through me, that I would communicate effectively, Father, the word that you've given us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is A Deeper Generosity, A Deeper Generosity. I also have a subtitle, and it's a mathematical equation I call a theological equation. It's G times T plus T equals T. G times T plus T equals T. If you were into physics or geometry in school, then this would be fun. If you hated it, then you're going to like it today, hopefully. Amen. I'll give you the first meanings of all these letters in our formula. G is for gifts. T is for talents. The second T is for time. And the last T is for treasures. And those are going to be the points that we'll be going through today. So today we're going to go through a theological equation that when put into practice can help us align our giving and generosity according to how God created them or intended them to be in our lives. If you remember when you were taking physics or geometry in school, they always gave us formulas to, to be able to practice different things. These formulas were keys to passing the tests that were given. And if you could memorize the formula, the formulas, then you can get the answers right on the test. Some of the examples of formulas that we learned when we were in school in physics, in physics and geometry, um, the first one is P equals 4S, where the perimeter equals the sum of four sides. The second formula you might remember from school is A equals S2, where the area equals two sides multiplied together. And my favorite formula, which I learned in physics, which everyone or I still use a lot today, is, is V equals D divided by time, where velocity equals distance divided by time, which is how you show how long it will take you to get a certain place prior to having a GPS, of course. All of these formulas produce exact results and constant ones also. They don't fail. In the same way, the formula that I have given you today of G times T plus T equals T, will not fail in our spiritual and earthly lives. Amen? The first letter in our formula, the first letters in our formula are GT. And as I said before, G stands for gifts, and T stands for talents. Let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, so that we can see some of these. Amen? Romans, chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you or each of us as a congregation. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. In other words, all of us are different and unique, yet we're all one and the same. And this can only happen in the kingdom of God. Verse 6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The word gift here comes from the Greek word charisma. It means a gift of grace, a favor which one receives without any merit of its own. In other words, God freely gives it to us. We don't earn it. We just get it. In the technical Pauline sense, it denotes extraordinary powers, distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Jesus Christ, the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit. Charisma, on another, on, on another note, is defined as divi- is what divinely empowers a believer to share God's work with others. Spirit-empowered service to the church to carry out his plan for his people. In other words, the Holy Spirit enables you to do these things for the benefit of the kingdom and for the benefit of the people of God. When God gave Moses instructions on building the temple, we find the following scriptures. We're going to go to Exodus chapter um, 35, and we're going to go through a lot of scriptures today because I think it's important that we understand where this is coming from. Um, but the, I want to interject something here also. Um, I, I want to make sure that we, don't, that we understand clearly that this is not a prosperity message. I am not preaching prosperity here. I am preaching scriptures and how I interpret them to be for us as a church and being generous to the people around us and to the world. Amen? This is how this goes, and this is how I'm going to bring scriptures to help us understand where these things, where my foundation comes from. Then it says in Exodus chapter 35, verses 30, it says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled them with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. In other words, God gave him what he knew to do. Verse 32, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and carving and in carving wood for, every, for, for work in every skilled craft. And he, was in, and he has inspired him to teach. In other words, God gave him inspiration to teach both him and Oheliab, the son of Ahimashak, Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill. In other words, God gave them skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. These passages clearly explain how God had given or enabled Bezabel Bezalel, and filled him with his spirit and gave him the talents he needed for the skills that were required for the building of the temple. Talents are inherited, gifts are received. 
J. Warner Wallace states, natural talents are just that. They can be attributed to the natural genetic material existing within all of us. Amen. Passed down from generation to generation. And you find that in, in some cases, you'll find that a mother is a doctor, the daughter is a doctor, the father is a lawyer, the son is a lawyer, the father is a pastor, the son is a pastor, and, or, or, the, or the, the father is a businessman, the son is a businessman, or the daughter. And you find that generationally people follow the same genetic sequence of giftings that they have because of talents, I'm sorry, because it's within them. Farmers have, farmers breed farmers, for example. Mechanics have, fathers that are mechanics have sons who love to play with, with, with tools. So this is the, the genetic making of it. We are, that's already in us, amen? It's already a natural part of us. They can be attributed to natural genetic material that's passed down. And spiritual gifts, on the other hand, come directly from the Spirit of God. That's why they are called gifts in the first place. The Spirit works these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. Natural talents are imparted at natural birth. When you're born, you just have them. Spiritual gifts are given when we are born again. So you find when you see your little children playing, wow, you can see the things that they can naturally do and that they take after their mother, their grandfather, their sister, their brother, or their aunt or their uncle. Those are the genetic things that you see. But then later on in life, you'll find that as you look around, you'll see that they are gifted and talented in different ways, these kids or these people. And, and then we see how God nourishes those things. And can you point out the gifts of someone around you? Have, you? have you seen people and you know, wow, this person is gifted at that? I can see my wife, for example. She's homeschooling, and for the first time in all of the years that she's been teaching, I've been able to watch her teach, and I see that she has a gifting, amen, and a talent also now um, for, for teaching kids, especially those that are handicapped. So she had the natural ability to teach, but after she was filled with the Spirit, now she has the gift of God to be able to reach those kids in a different and, and better way. Amen? That's, that's, what, that's how that works together. You'll find athletes like Ronaldo, like Messi, like Yao Ming, like Neymar, Michael Jordan, Mariano Rivera, and Mike Tyson, who are extremely talented also. Yes, they practice a lot, but all they did was practice to refine what they already had within them. In Mariano's case, he was a pitcher who later received the gift of God called the cutter. And the cutter is a certain type of pitch that pitchers use in baseball. Um, they have a curveball, they have a slider, they have a fastball, and they have a cutter as another one of the pitches that they can throw to throw off the batter so he can't hit the ball. Mariano's cutter came later in life. He himself testifies that he did not practice or learn that pitch. As he once told me, it just happens. The world tries to explain away these things as if they are earned or by luck. However, the Bible says it differently. Now, let's watch together with me a video that explains in a secular sense Mariano's pitch. Let's watch together. Rivera uses a seemingly effortless delivery, which he can flawlessly repeat pitch after pitch. His cutter is thrown very much like a fastball, but the pitch has significant lateral movement. He creates and adjusts this movement with the different pressure he puts on the ball with his fingers. 
The pitch's lateral movement keeps it off the bat's sweet spot, moving in on the hands of a left-handed batter and toward the end of the bat of a righty. To a hitter, Rivera's cutter first appears like a straight fastball, making it hard to distinguish the two pitches during the first fractions of a second when the hitter must decide if, when, and where to swing. Hitters often rely on reading a pitch's spin to determine what pitch is coming, but Rivera's fastball and cutter have what appear to the hitter as the same spin. Many pitchers throw their cutters more like sliders, with their fingers pulling down on the side of the ball. This can create more downward and lateral movement than a cutter, but it also creates the signature spin of a slider, a spinning red dot, that the hitter can recognize and adjust to. With identical deliveries and spins on Rivera's pitches, hitters are at a loss to identify and then attack the pitch, until it is too late and the balls end up in very different locations. As you can see, this video shows us that the ball rotates a specific way. It gives us a scientific explanation of why the cutter works the way it does. The rotation of the ball, together with gravity and fiction, make the ball move sporadically just as it arrives at the plate. That's the, that's the secular explanation, the scientific explanation of it. Now, let's together now watch the spiritual explanation of the same pitch given by Mariano himself. Watch with me. I wanted to ask you if you could show us the cutter grip one final time and then tell me how, when that baseball left your hand, how you knew that that cutter was going to do what you needed it to do. All right. This was my forcing fastball before the quarter appeared, before the Lord gave me the quarter. This is the same grip that I threw with the quarter. But now this pitch no longer was straight no more. Now this pitch is moving. It was forcing fastball. So now what made this pitch good was that uh, this pitch was having the same rotation of a forcing fastball. And when it was approaching to the plate, it will move. No, bad, no fastball have to do that. No fastball could do that, but that pitch did it, you know? And that's what the boys see. The boys saw a forcing fastball, and they swung a forcing fastball pitch. And then when it was close to them, the ball just moved. And 17 years I threw it out, Jack, and uh, the only thing that I didn't do was tell the boys verbally, hey guys, here's the quarter. <laughs> they knew all along for 17 years. And uh, thank God, Jack, I mean, uh, I was successful. Do you realize how incredible that sounds? That everyone knew what you were about to throw, yet you were still able to defeat them and have a Hall of Fame career. That is how the miracle happened. Because I will call this pitch a miracle pitch. As you can see in his explanation, notice that Mariano explains how the ball moved. He explains it like this at the beginning of the video. He says, before the cutter appeared, and then he stops abruptly and he corrects himself and he changes his statement to, before the Lord gave me the cutter. That's what Mariano testifies of as his pitch. He told me very clearly that one day he was warming up in pitching practice, and I think it was Jorge Posada. I forgot who the catcher was. No, it was the guy that who's the manager for the Yankees or who was the manager. He was the catcher. I forgot his name. 
Um, he, he was catching, and he told them, hey, stop throwing the ball like that. Just make it go straight. He says, I'm not doing anything. I'm just throwing the ball. And when they came to realize, Mariano realized that he wasn't doing anything. It was the Holy Spirit who was doing something to the ball at that moment as it was arriving at the plate. His career was almost over. And God gave him this pitch to make his career even greater. Mariano testifies that the pitch was the platform that God gave him so he could reach more souls for the kingdom. It was, God's, it was, it was God giving him what he needed so that he could reach more people with the gospel. Our talents, like the ones given to Bezalel and Mariano, are given for the edification of the kingdom. What you choose to them is your decision. Some people call them natural abilities. Scripture calls them God-given abilities. Amen? Let's go to our next component in the formula, and that is the, the letter T. T stands for time. Time is defined as the, definite in, I'm sorry, as the indefinite continued progress of existence and events in the past, present, and future regarding a whole. In his explanation of one of the theories of time, William Lane Craigs defines it this way as a tenseless experience. In other words, there is really no past, present, or future. It's just all the same. In God's eyes, it's all the same. That's why we read scripture that say that God's time is different than our time because we operate according to a a tensed time. He operates in a tenseless time. God sees it all the same no matter what happens. Either way, It is God who affords us the time or gives us the time to exist here on earth. No matter how we interpret time, it will always lead to an end of time as it pertains to our earthly existence. So the only thing that ever ends is our existence here on earth. But time continues as we enter eternity. Time is then infinite. Amen. Why? Because we all know that when we die, we enter eternity and that's where time never ends. What we do with our time here on earth has many outcomes. When we waste our time, we are misusing the gift that God has given us. You see, when we wake up in the morning, it is by God's grace that we wake up and that we're able to work 50 to 60 hours a week. It's why we're able to do the things we we do. Many people run out of time. They die young or unaccomplished. Have you ever asked yourself, where did time go? What happened? I thought we had more, and time just went by, and and nothing happened. You feel like you could have accomplished so much more, but for some reason, time slipped by, and it just got away from you. My recommendation is that you do some sort of time management, training, or set schedules and goals so that you may better make better use of your time. Proper time management enables us to put our gift to use for the edification of the body of Christ. That's why it's important to properly manage time so that we can then benefit the things of the kingdom. Our time here on earth is limited. This becomes clearer as we age, and you find people that are, I find this very unique in people that are either terminally ill or that are sick, and they often say, I wish I had done things differently. I wish I had used my time differently. They start putting the things into perspective into what matters. When we're young, Uh, We think that certain things are important to us as we age and get older. um, We find and we refine time to what really matters and what really makes sense. As you mature as a Christian, you refine your time according to what makes kingdom sense. 
You refine your time according to what makes kingdom sense. In other words, the things of the kingdom take precedence and priority over the things that you used to do that mattered more to you. But now, since you're at the end of your life almost, or we're at the end of it, as we approach the end of our life, we, we, we do more things as Christians for the things of the kingdom. But we have it wrong. We need to consistently, consistently pursue to use our time and manage it for the things of the kingdom. The final letter in our formula is T. And T stands for treasures. And we're going to put this all together now as it'll, it'll all come together, I promise you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, the scripture we opened with. Do not store for yourselves treasures. Amen? On earth, where, 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 where time exists, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why? Yes, T stands for treasure. How do we get to this conclusion? Well, the formula says it all. We are gifted by God with our talents, and God also gives us the time so that we may use both of them wisely, and that is to obtain treasures. That's right, I said that. It was the gifting that God gave Joseph that allowed him to amass the treasures that he did in, during the time of Pharaoh in Egypt. This is what I'm clearly saying, that God gives you the gifts and the talents. He also gives you time so that you can then get treasures. Remember, this is not a prosperity message. A prosperity message teaches us that we should amass treasures on earth. Amen? This message is talking about um, storing treasures in heaven, which is what the scripture in Matthew says. God gave him, God gave Joseph the gift of administration and leadership, and God also gave him the time. So God gave Joseph the, the gifts, the talents, and the time. The time was given in seven years to save and seven years to distribute. Joseph was successful because of his stewardship of both time and gifts. That's what made Joseph successful, that he was a good steward of the, all the things that God had placed into his hands. His good stewardship resulted in treasures. Remember, the treasures didn't end during the first seven years or the last seven years. The treasures continued when the Israelites and the people or Egyptians had nothing else to eat. And then they, they gave their properties and themselves in, in, in exchange for food. This was the wisdom that God had given Joseph. Joseph's treasures might have appeared to be earthly, but when you look a little deeper, you will find that they were eternal as they were meant for the preservation of God's people. That's where this comes in. All of the things that Joseph did during those 14 years of, of prosperity and famine, it was to preserve God's people. That's where he stored up the treasures in heaven. So my question to you today is, how are you using your gifts? How are you using your time? Is it to obtain treasures on earth? Or is it so that you can be generous to those in need? What is the purpose of the treasure you are seeking? Is it for kingdom use or self-gratification? The Bible tells us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. If your treasure is in heaven, then your heart will be in heaven, and the things of heaven will be the goals for seeking and using your time, talents, and gifts. If you have grandchildren, you'll know that as grandparents, 
We give anything to our grandchildren. Because why? Because our hearts are in the grandchildren. We don't think twice about it. We, or our kids sometimes even. But when it's a grandchild, I find that, it's that we're a little bit more vulnerable to this. And we put everything in it. So our heart is in the child. Our heart is in that, in the, in that experience, in that love. So we, don't, we do everything for that. If we take the same analogy and we put our heart into the things of the, of, of the kingdom, then we'll find that it will be so much easier to give when we're asked, to help those that are in need, and to be generous with the things that God has given us. If your treasure is in heaven, then your heart will be in heaven. The things of heaven will be the goals you are seeking for using your time, gifts, and talents, as I said. You see, God freely gives and generously gives us the first two components of the formula. He freely gives us the gifts. He freely gives us the talent. And he freely gives us the time to use them. All of these he gives generously. However, the last one, that we, that, he, that, that we get, which is the treasures that we obtain, he, what we do with that, he leaves up to us. He freely gives us the gifts, the time, and the talents, and he allows us to operate in those. What we do with the, with the results of that, which is treasures, he, makes, he allows us to make that decision. Are you tithing from your treasures? Are you setting kingdom goals with your earthly treasures? All God asks is that we give 10% of our treasures. Why is it so difficult for some to tithe? But I want to make, take it beyond this. Are you storing treasure for yourself on earth or in heaven? I ask again, where are we storing our treasures? As we practice giving and being generous, we will store up treasures in heaven. You will also find that more will be given to you as you properly steward what God has entrusted you. It's like Elijah and the widow in 1 Kings chapter 17. Many of us know the story. Elijah was hungry. He goes into this lady's house, and she, oh, she has a, a, a bottle of water and bread or, or flour, I think. And the widow said that if she gave it to him, that she would die because that's all she had. There was none left for her. Yet because she was generous, listen to this, folks, because she was generous, she had more oil and flour than she ever had. And she had oil and flour, not oil and water, and not water and flour before. She had oil and flour, more than she ever had before because she, she was kingdom-minded, because she was storing up for herself treasures in heaven. When we allow God to guide us in generosity and giving, we will never lack anything. I'm not talking about impulsive giving. I'm not talking about emotional giving. I'm talking about kingdom giving and kingdom sharing. Generous, king, um, kingdom, kingdomly being generous, amen? And kingdomly thinking of the things that we have. I can't help but bring all the scriptures that I, that I, that I see to our attention today because they're the ones that really speak to me of what we should be doing with the time and the talents that God has given us. And as you and I come together, with the things that God has already freely given us to edify the kingdom, we will find that we will store for ourselves treasures in heaven. I want to turn to a few scriptures as we end this morning. I want to share with you other instances in the Bible, in scripture, that clearly demonstrate what God meant about storing treasures in heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, and I'm reading this from the message. Um, I very rarely read from it, but I found that this one said it like so to, very, very to the point. Very to the point. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 11 says, Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. 
I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and to make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when a giver delights in giving. God can pour out the blessings in astonishing ways so that you are ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. The most generous, the most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something so that you can then give it away. Amen? Which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. That's just one scripture of how God speaks to us about being generous and giving. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which, 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 which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides and gives us everything for our enjoyment. Amen. In other words, God gives you the treasures that you seek, the treasures that you obtain on earth. He gives them to you for your enjoyment. And you will take pleasure in those treasures as you invest them in the things of the kingdom. Amen. As you invest them in the things of the kingdom, you'll find that you'll be happy. When I give to a cause, when I give to whatever ministries my, my, my wife and I give to, or of my time, or of my gifts and my talents, I feel blessed. It, is, it just blesses me more than it blesses the person or the people or, that I'm giving to because it's just God just blesses me like that. I can't explain it, but it's the way it works. It's why this formula doesn't fail. Hebrews chapter 13 says, And do not forget to, to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. As we give and as we're generous, it pleases God. And isn't that what we're here for? Isn't it to be a blessing to God? And the final scripture I'll leave with you as we close today is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 12 out of the NIV. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This is an example of a church that came together to be generous. It says, in the midst of, in the midst of a very severe trial, and we can call it in the midst of the coronavirus, amen, there were overflowing joy and extreme poverty swelled up to rich generosity. For I testify that they gave us as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. In other words, they weren't forced, they weren't coerced. They, they, they didn't, a pastor didn't have to get up here and be very charismatic and forthcoming and send me $50 million and you're going to give us. No, they weren't coached on how to give. Amen? They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. They wanted to participate in this giving. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first, all to the Lord. In other words, when people say, hey, we need help, we need you to give, it's not just money, it's yourself, it's what you have. It's what God has already given us that we can give. And then by, and then by the will of God to us also, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion the act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love and in the love that we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in the grace of giving, that you excel in the grace of giving. My goodness, he's saying it is graceful to give. I am not commanding you, verse 8 says, but I want to test 
the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Verse 9, for you know the grace of the Lord our God Jesus Christ that through that though he was, he was rich, amen, yet for your sake he became poor. In other words, God left heaven. God left the biggest palace in the world to come to earth to become poor so that you and I can become rich. And the churches and some other people will take this thing and turn it around and say that it's about money on earth. No. He came that we might become rich here on earth so that we can then bless others. And, so, and rich is not just finances. Rich is in happiness. Rich is in joy. Rich is in peace. Rich is in the gifts and talents that you have that you share with others. Don't follow those, those messages that tell you otherwise. Amen? Verse 10 says, and here is my judgment. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. In other words, they wanted to give. Amen. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. In other words, don't leave it hanging. Once you start something, finish it. Complete the work that you start. When the Lord tells you to do something for someone, finish it. Go all the way. Amen. Give what you have when you have it. The Bible says in another place that do not wait, do not make them wait until tomorrow if you have it today. Verse 12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Folks, today my message is to urge us as a family, as a body of Christ at Long Island Alliance and those guests that might be with us. I'm not asking you to give to the church. I'm not asking you to do anything for this church. I'm not, it's not something that I was told to help build the, the coffers of this church. No. It's something that's going to bless your life. It's something that blesses my life. As I give of what, has, of what God has given me, as I give of my time, of my talents, of my resources, of my treasures, the Lord blesses me. And yes, some of those things are given to Long Island Alliance Church. And yes, some of those things are given to missions. And yes, some of those things are given to your neighbor. And yes, some of those things you do at the supermarket online with someone. Wherever it is that God is instructing you to be generous, be generous and trust that God will be happy. Amen? Father, we thank you for everything you've given us. We thank you for the time, the gifts, and the talents that you've given us so that we can store up treasures in heaven. We pray, Father, that you would guide us every day, Lord, and that you would help us, Father, to be stewards, better stewards of what you've entrusted us with. Father, touch the hearts of all of those that are listening, Father, and help us to leave this, this, this Zoom room today, Father, to go out into the world, Father, and to practice generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.